And you, grown-ups, if you'll open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, you too are going to learn about the gospel. Um, This is maybe one of the most focused um, messages that I can think of, at least in a while. And when I say focus, sometimes a pastor gets up here and says, well, what am I going to say? It's like, it's just very basic and simple stuff. Um, We started this study last week, and you remember Paul was very um, conscientious about his reputation. He was saying, you need to listen to me, and I'm an apostle like those other apostles. And it it can seem like it's self-serving, but what he's trying to defend is the gospel of Christ. And he's saying, you need to listen to me, and I have the authority to tell you this, because what I'm telling you is so important that if it gets not only ignored, but even twisted in any way, as he's going to say in this text, well, it's no gospel whatsoever. And so it's a very focused thing. We're going to talk about it in the verses of 1 through 6 of chapter chapter 1. But it's, it's really kind of repetitive. It's kind of simple. But what Paul is trying to defend and, and present is what does it mean to be saved? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and he, he doesn't want people, and I can't even say it this way, to settle for anything less because settling for anything less is getting nothing. Okay, It's not like buying a cheaper version of something. It's not like a reproduction of something. If you mess with the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. Okay? There aren't various um, uh, ways to get saved. There aren't various uh, things that Jesus did. And sometimes when you get a cheap imitation of something, it's because they haven't done everything, you know, they don't add everything or it's a different material or something like that. With the gospel, if you're going to get a cheap imitation, which isn't even the real thing, you don't take stuff away, you add to it, okay? You add works to it. You say, yes, Jesus is important. Yes, what he did was necessary for salvation. But on top of that, or in addition to that, you need to do a few things, otherwise you're not saved. And as soon as you add one little drop of that poison, it's no longer the gospel. That's what's going on here. Let's read verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1. And then get through our outline there. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. God made the gospel And because the gospel is clear, may Christ be clear for who he is and what he did. May we have no confusion. God, the gospel will change our lives. It will will produce fruit in our lives, as this very letter talks about. But at the heart of what it means to be a child of God is to be accepted based solely on what Christ did for us. God, may we shed any imitation of that and just stand in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, point one I have there is people deserting Christ. That's what Paul is astonished about. 
I, I did a little research. I, I'm dumb when it comes to history. I know names, but I can't remember who did what. But so let me see if you can figure out what these uh, these people have in common. The first one is Judas Iscariot. Okay, if you grew up in this is the easy one for the church crowd. He betrayed Jesus Christ. He deserted him. Right. Um, I, see, I'm so dumb. I have to have my notes here. Um, where are they? There they are. Uh, Benedict Arnold. Okay. Now, I had to do a little research. I'm sure I taught this in school, but he was a guy that was with the uh, uh, American side of the war and fighting Britain and all that. He was actually the commander at West Point, if you can know where that is. And he decided he didn't like the way things were going, and so he traded with the British. It was eventually in the uh, military in the British, too, but he turned over West Point and, and he or tried to and, and ran Richmond, Virginia down and Anyway, he's known as Benedict Arnold. We still know that name. Thomas Jefferson, or Benjamin, um, why am I losing all my names today? Benjamin, who's the famous guy? Yeah, thank you. He's probably on a bill somewhere. Ben, Benjamin Franklin, he said of Judas, he said of uh, Benedict Arnold, he goes, he's worse than Judas Iscariot. Now, I don't agree with this theologically, but he said Judas just brought down one man. Benjamin Ar- Arnold brought down three million people, Okay. Now, I would argue differently, and I would say, when you bring down Jesus, then, okay, it affects everybody. Brutus and Cassius, oh, I'm not even going to Shakespeare, but they're traitors as well. And the Galatians are traitors. That's what Paul is saying here, that you have deserted the one who called you to live in grace. And, and not my fear, but my intention this morning is to make sure we're not lumped into that crowd, Okay. These are religious people talking about what it means to be saved. The, the people that are arguing with Paul are not saying, forget Jesus. They're saying, accept Jesus, but you've got to do more. Okay? They're not telling us to forget our faith. They're saying, yes, but, and more to it. So under this heading of people deserting Christ, redundant, A, deserting Christ, he says in verse 6, I am astonished. He, he's flabbergasted. He's shocked. He, he expected more from them, that you are quickly deserting the one who called you, okay? Now, quickly, there's been a number of years here, so it's not like they accepted Jesus one week and the next week. It, it, it has this double meaning a little bit of not just time-wise, that I was just with you guys a couple years ago, and now you've turned here. It's also that you were so easily duped. I can't believe how readily... You accepted this other line of thinking. And he said, puts it in this military term. You've deserted the one who called you. They went AWOL. They're, they're traitors. To, and you can't say, well, I accept the gospel, but I reject Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so when he says, you've deserted the one who called you, it's a personal thing. In fact, it's so personal that people argue about this. Is Paul here saying, you deserted me, because he's just made a great defense of who he is. I can't believe you're turning your back on what I taught you. Or is he saying, Christ, you've turned your back on Christ. I believe there might be a little of both here, because Paul's trying to point him to Christ and say, if you don't get this, you're rejecting everything you accepted from me, and you, that points us to Jesus, and you're rejecting everything that Jesus called you to do. He would say in verse in chapter 4 that you're, you want to be enslaved all over again. He says, you want to go through the law again. You want to do works again. He says in verse 11, I fear that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He says in verse uh, chapter 5, you were running a good race, but 
Someone who cut in front and, and kept you from obeying the truth. That there, There's this tendency to desert Christ and desert salvation. And he says you're called, as it says there, to live in the grace of Christ. We are saved by grace. We know that. But what he's saying is, you can, and we spent a lot of time on this last week, you continue to live that life of grace. And what they were saying was, and what his fear was, that yes, Jesus saved me. I didn't do anything to get saved, but now I've got to earn it or I've got to keep it by doing the works of the law. For them, it was circumcision. In our day, we might say things like, you've got to give a tenth of your income or you've got to be baptized. And we believe in baptism. In fact, we believe it so much that we incur- you have to be baptized to be a member. You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian. Okay, and we're, we're, I know there's a little tension there, but nothing adds. Think of the thief on the cross. Okay? He could do absolutely nothing in addition to place his faith in the death of Jesus Christ. And he did, and Jesus affirmed that. And what Paul is saying here is that's the way it's supposed to continue. Now, when he, I read this, I immediately thought of the parable of the soils. It, it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk, t- tell this parable that Jesus told about the seed of God's word being thrown out. Some in good soil and it produces fruit, some in rocky soil and thorny soil. And so I'm along the path, and the, the, the story is like this. The birds come in, and they take that seed away. And, and the shallow soil, it, it springs for a little bit, but then it goes away. These people are in that parable that way. They're the ones that accepted the word of God, but something came and took it away. And, and I could spend, if, boy, if I really wanted to put a lot of extra meat on this thing, we could go talk about those parables, because I started reading on those Satan is the one that's portrayed as birds, okay? We, are, we occasionally get birds in this building. We have to chase them down and shoo them out, and just they get in somehow, you know? And, and I don't know how many times a year Neil and I, or mainly Neil, is trying to get them out of the building, okay? Um, birds, and since I started studying this this week, I've noticed birds are everywhere. Have you noticed that? Like, they're all over the place. I love the roadside hawks that stand on, like, signs, and you can see them go down. I just think it's great. The, the illustration of that parable is this. There are birds in here right now, according to that parable. And it's the enemy of God's word who wants to pick up any truth that you might receive before it can take root and bear fruit. Okay? And as I studied this, and, and I'm just telling you, get ready, because we're going to talk about this more someday. Satan has the best church attendance of anybody here. Okay? He's paying attention. He knows the power of the gospel. And if he can do anything to pluck it out of your hearts and minds, he will. He is just waiting to come. And we get distracted or we get bent out of shape or all this kind of stuff. Anything that will keep the word of God from bearing fruit. And so what's happened in their life, I don't know. Paul came. He shared the gospel. They accepted it. And then the busyness of life or other t- false teaching and all this came in and started taking that away. And, he, and now he said, you've deserted the very one who called you to that. So that's kind of what's going on here. Point B, again, very focused this morning, it's a different gospel. He says in verse 6 and in verse 7, you are turning to a different gospel, verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. It's not a cheap imitation. There are only two religions in the world, period. It's either you are saved by grace or you're saved by your works, period, Okay. That's it. Those are your choices. Now, there's nuances in between all of those. But once you say you have to do anything, one little drop of poison, 
ruins what the gospel is. It, in, in fact, this is where the Greek language helps us, and that's fun to explore these things. When he says a different gospel, okay, we all, or most of us in here, have vehicles. I drove in a vehicle, you drove in a different vehicle. But they're all vehicles, okay? There's a Greek word that means different, but the same, okay? My Kia is different from your Ford, but they're still vehicles. They're different of the same type. That's not the word that's used here. This is the word, it's called heteros. We get the word heterosexual from this. Two opposite things, okay? It's not gospel 2.0. It's not a lighter version of the gospel. It's not real close. It is a totally different thing. It is, it is no gospel at all, is what he tells us. I asked permission for this. By the way, back to those Greek words. When Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to send you another comforter, he uses the word of similar comforter. I'm going to, I'm going to come back in the form of the Spirit. It's going to be the Spirit of God that comes. Don't want to misspeak here. Jesus did not turn into the Spirit of God, okay? He says another of the same type, another divine being is going to be with you. It's similar. Here he's saying it's not close at all. And I asked permission for this. One of your new deacons is named Bobby Reed. Bobby Reed is married to Tiffany Reed. Tiffany Reed ran the Boston Marathon last Monday for the fifth time, okay? So you can go congratulate her or counsel her or whatever you think needs to be done, but that's, that's remarkable. Bobby and Tiffany share a Facebook page, Okay. So if you go to, now they're going to, I'm not, this is not to drive up likes or clicks or whatever that is. But if you go to, I think it's Bobby and Tiffany Reed or Tiffany and Bobby Reed. I don't even know. So Tiffany did a great job of actually documenting this running of the Boston Marathon. She took pictures along the way and it was almost like we could go there with her. Well, if you're just unsuspecting, you'll think that Bobby ran the Boston Marathon because on his Facebook page are all these pictures of the Boston Marathon. Well, I saw Bobby, when was it? Last Wednesday. He did not run the Boston Marathon last Monday. His wife did. But in a, in a goofy way, he got the credit for it. Does that make sense? When I looked at their page, it looked as if Bobby did something he did not do. Okay? This is just attempt number 2,500 to make you understand the gospel. Jesus Christ ran the marathon. We share a page with him. We get the credit for that. Does that make sense? He lived a perfect life. We cannot. We have not. Even keeping the law, we cannot. Paul would say, if you stumble at one point, you've broken it all. Well, guess what? Because we shared the righteousness of Christ, everything he did was credited to us as righteousness. And that is accepted, and Paul will make a point later in the book, only by faith, not by works. You just trust that God looks at you like he looks at his son. And when he died... He died in your place, so all the sin you've committed was placed on him. It works both ways. Bobby got credit for what Tiffany did, and guess what? If Bobby does something stupid, Tiffany's brought in on, you know, on the page. All the stupid, sinful things we've done were placed on Christ, and he died for those. So standing before God simply by faith, not by works, because of what Christ has done, and only because of what Christ has done, we get that credit and we get that salvation, okay? Now, it would be, I think, and no impugning of, of Bobby here, of Bobby to say, well, I'm going to go run the marathon today, okay, so that I can get in on that. You're already in on it. 
And what these Judaizers were saying was, yes, Jesus paid your sins, and yes, it's great to have faith in him, but you better start running. That's not the gospel, okay? The gospel is not that. So, point C is disturbed people. Verse 7 goes on to say, evidently some people, he's talking about these legalists, these false teachers, are throwing you into confusion. So, picture this, they've accepted a different gospel And it has results on them. He wants them to live in the grace of Christ. And he's saying, you're all confused now. In fact, the Greek there is not just confused, but you're disturbed. It has the idea of of being shaken up and agitated. Their lives are turned upside down spiritually because they've accepted a different gospel. That word for confusion ends up a few other places. In Matthew 2, 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, that a child was born, he was disturbed. It's this idea of being disturbed. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake there, the Sea of Galilee, it says they were terrified. That's the same word. In Luke 1, there's a guy named Zechariah. Remember him? He is uh, uh, father of John the Baptist. And when he saw an angel, it, it startled him and he was gripped with fear. Same word. And when Jesus would say to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, that's the same word. When you accept anything but the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, it's disturbing to you. Because now you've got to wonder, do I measure up? Have I done enough? Or pride gets in and says, I've done enough and I'm better than everybody else. You know, I thank God that I'm not like that sinner over there. And so not only have they accepted something different, but it disturbs them. It disturbs everything. A church that's based on legalism will be a chaotic, confusing disturbed, unsettled, agitated place. Because we can never measure up. I, I have, verse 7 goes on to say they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It means turn it to the exact opposite. It's, it's used elsewhere, darkness turns to light, or your mourning turns to joy. They're trying to pervert exactly what Jesus did. Now, here's the question that I've wrestled with all week long, and I, I, I've been convicted by this personally, um, I know the right Sunday school answers. I know, I know I could write you a paper that says I know the answer to this. But it, I, I've been asked all week long, I've been asking myself this. How disturbed would I be if I found out that salvation was not based solely on Jesus Christ and it had something to do with my performance? Okay? Do this little thought experiment for a second, because I know the answer. The right answer is I'd be devastated. Can I just be honest? Start, start playing that over your head. What would, what would you do if all of a sudden you, we, we woke up and this was all a dream and none of this was true? If I can just be honest, and maybe you can be honest, I would probably still get my iced tea from Quick Trip this afternoon, Right? It's because we don't understand the seriousness of sin. We we talked Wednesday night about Ananias and Sapphira. And the question always comes up there. If you don't know the story, go read it in Acts chapter 5. They lied to God and they got killed. And we're like, why, why would God do that? The miracle is he doesn't do it every day. And when I don't understand the seriousness of sin, the reality of hell, the promise of heaven, the power of the resurrection... And I might just go on my day if I find out that the gospel is not exactly 
In fact, when it feeds into our flesh, there's probably a lot of all of us that says, I kind of wish it were that way. Because I measure up pretty good in my own eyes compared to a lot of people I know. That's what they were believing. And Paul says, when you do that, you, you have deserted the one who called you to live in grace. And so to me, again, very sobering. I need to be more disturbed about me or others not living just in the grace of Christ. And as he says there, you're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, he does something remarkable here. This is point two now. Pronouncing the divine curse. Verse 8 and 9, he calls down or at least acknowledges that they are under the curse of, of God. Um, and again, very focused or redundant, if you will. Point A is declaring a different gospel. So that's what they're doing. He says in verse eight, even if we, so Paul's saying, if I come at you a different way, if I change my tune later on, okay, be like the Bereans, study the word, make sure it's in there or an angel from heaven. Okay. The highest authority he can think of. I don't care if an angel shows up and think of that. Some people have experiences with God. And they say, well, I just think, or God told me, or frankly, there's some that say an angel revealed this and we put it in a book even, okay? Even Paul's saying if anybody says anything except it is just by faith and just by Christ and no works, he says they should be under the curse of God. He says if you should preach any gospel other than when we preached to you, Verse 9, we already said to you. I don't think he means verse 8. I think he means when I was there earlier. Verse 9 goes on. If anybody preaches a gospel, then what you accepted. Point B is they are doomed for destruction by God. Verse 8 and 9 both end with let them be under God's curse. Um, wouldn't you love to have the power to just curse people? I mean, this means more than I don't like you, Right? I mean, it, 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 different words are used, accursed, anathema, that they're damned. And what I don't think Paul is cussing at them here, okay? I think he's describing the truth of the matter, which is, if you reject Christ, and worse, if you lead others to reject Christ, saved just by grace, then you're under the curse of God. He will say elsewhere in this letter, unless you keep everything in the law, you have to pay the price of the law. The only way out from being under God's curse is to accept the one you've deserted, to accept the grace of Christ. And so I dug into this a little bit too. And when he says you're under God's curse, there's this concept in the Bible, it goes all the way back to Leviticus, um, and you can, you can picture it else, elsewhere, um, Achan's sin, uh, the destruction of the temple, um, where um, the Amalekites, King Saul was rejected for this. That there's a, there's a thing in, in the Bible, it starts in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where you, um, you could dedicate something to God, or you could devote something to God. And if you devoted it to God, it was God's to do what God was going to do with it. It was irreversible. In, in Bible language, some of the translations say it's under a ban, meaning this, the Amalekites are a good example. They are so wicked that they are to be totally destroyed, and it's inevitable. 
And you can't turn it back, you can't take it back, you can't redeem it, any of that stuff. What Paul is saying here, I think, is anybody who rejects Christ is under a ban. They're under the curse of God. Literally, sacrifices would be hung on the temple walls and the temple columns saying, don't touch that because God's going to destroy that. It's inevitable. There's only one way to get to God. It's through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You choose any other way. And God has already declared, and it's irreversible, and it's irredeemable, except that you come to faith in Christ. If you go that way, you're going to be destroyed. You're under the curse of God. Okay, That's what Paul's saying here. Well, what is his driving concern? This is point three. And Paul was a Paul was a religious guy. Um, as you know, he was well trained. He was a, he was a persecutor of the Christians at one point. He would be he would have much more in common with many of these Judaizers than he would than you would think the way he talks about them. But um, what is he really a part here? He wants to preserve the gospel for sure. That's what this whole letter is about. But then he says in verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? And so for point A, I have his choice is, am I going to please the crowd? Or point B is, am I going to please Christ? That's where this comes down to. And he will say things in this letter like, if I've become your enemy by telling you the truth. He understands that what he's saying is not popular. He, and you might think, well, why wouldn't somebody accept the gospel? Because it cuts right to pride. Every last one of us likes to think we're good enough. We're not. I almost used hillbilly. We ain't, okay? Not one of us measures up. And as soon as you tell me the only way to not be doomed is to put my faith in Christ, then it cuts into that. Vance Habner said about the gospel, that either makes people sad mad or glad okay you're sad if you realize i'll never measure up and i'm not going to put my faith in christ so i guess that's just it that's a sad situation others get mad because they have self-righteousness they say no i am good enough and i can do enough and i'm glad jesus died for me but i'm going to add to that and those that accept the gospel and by faith are glad praise god that god would save a sinner like me and so paul he says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. The Greek there means, I'm not trying to make friends with the world. He would write to the Thessalonians that he suffered and was mistreated. But we dared to tell the gospel in the face of strong opposition. He says, we're not trying to trick you. We don't have false motives. We are not trying to please people but God, he says. Jesus said, "If you listen, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And, and so this is not a popularity contest. The gospel of Christ exclusively does not make people excited that don't know him. In point, I already gave you point B. He says in verse 10, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's a decision point here where we say, and, and Paul's teaching this, but also just accepting this. You may not be the most popular person if you go around saying it is Christ and Christ alone. And, and if I can nuance this a little bit, Paul's coming at it from I am proclaiming this truth and people don't like it. You simply accepting this truth 
will not be popular. You're going to be looked down upon. You're going to be considered foolish because the world doesn't get it. Let me read you a couple verses here. This is in 2 Timothy. Many of us know 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. But here's what leads into this. This is starting in verse 10 of 2 Timothy. This is the final words Paul's saying to him. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and suffering. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? By the way, those are the churches in Galatia. The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And those Scriptures are useful for teaching and rebuking. He says that line in there that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't leave out the in Christ Jesus part. There's a lot of people that want to live a good life. But it's when it's simply because of Christ. By the grace for his glory, you're going to be persecuted. You're not going to be well accepted. We've, we get here, Maybe a softer form of that. But there are people dying today because of this belief. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, for I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Here's how I would ask you to think about this as we wrap up. In the first one... I don't want to talk any of any of you out of the joy of your salvation. But please, nobody assume that you're saved and you've not trusted completely in Jesus Christ. Don't presume that just because you go to church or just because you got baptized or just because we just flashed your picture on the screen because you're a member of a church. Don't assume you're saved. You're saved only by what Paul is defending here by the grace of Jesus Christ, him alone, not by works, right? Make, don't assume you're saved. If you're not, if you have never told Christ, all of you, completely to you, everything I've done wrong, I need you to forgive based on your death on the cross, and everything that you've done right, I need to accept as righteousness of, of you, and nothing to the cross I bring, right? I just cling to him. If you are a Christian and you're not assuming that and you know you've done that, and this is kind of the opposite, I want you to be amazed. I've got all kinds of A words here. I want you to be amazed at what Christ did for you. I want you to be assured of what Christ did for you. Listen, because it's all the grace of Christ, you can't blow it. Does that make sense? There is no sin that Christ has not paid for. Maybe that's keeping you from coming to Christ, or maybe we talk about that's keeping you from living in Christ. But God's love covered all of that. And we should be so grateful and thankful because of it. That's, that's what worship is. It's, it's God's people thanking him for what he did in Christ. So I'll leave that with you. Don't assume you're saved. If you know you're not, I would love to talk to you about that. 
I'll be up here praying. I can talk. We can schedule something. But don't assume that you're going to heaven when you die. It comes from faith in Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, praise God that he revealed that truth to us and we can live in it. Okay, let's, let's pray. God, um, help us not to fall for a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It leaves us under your curse. But we praise you because Jesus Christ took that curse for us. He died for our sins. He rose again. He gives us his righteousness. All the thing that Paul is defending here. So as we close, God, my first prayer is for those that maybe assume that they're right with you. And yet they can't point to a time when they have confessed their sin to you and asked you to take all of it and forgive them. God, when they've trusted in you even for the righteous things they have done. Help them not to be, as Paul would say, bewitched. Help them not to abandon the one who saved them. Because there's no other alternative, God. And God, for those of us that know you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for not only bringing us to salvation, but helping us live in just the freedom that comes from knowing that we are your children and we can live freely before you and have eternity with you because of what Christ has done. May he get all the glory, God. May we boast in nothing but what Christ has done. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.